Welcome to our new micro podcast series, where authors answer four questions provided by the Journal of Neurophysiology's Editor-in-Chief, Professor Nina Ramirez. Hi, I'm Jamie Jones, your host, and I hope you enjoy this new series. Sit back, relax, and take a listen. Hi, my name is Apostolos Georgopoulos, Professor of Neuroscience at the University of Minnesota. Dr. Pekka Christova and I are co-authors of the rapid report titled Changes of Cortical Gray Matter Volume During Development, a Human Connectome Project Study, published recently in the Journal of Neurophysiology. We are glad to bring to your attention the key findings of our study and our perspective on them. We analyzed publicly available data from the Human Connectome Project development consisting of structural magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, of 649 brains of young participants, 6 to 21 years old, 299 boys and 350 girls. This large sample of data was collected with the same data acquisition and pre-processing protocol, a unique feature for our study. We focused on how the volumes of the gray matter of 35 areas of the cerebral cortex changed during those years in general and for specific areas in particular, and whether volumes changed differently between girls and boys. There were two main findings and a new interpretation and perspective on them. The first finding was that overall, cortical volumes decreased with age, but with notable exceptions, for example, that the volumes of areas of the hippocampal complex did not change over that period of time, probably due to ongoing neurogenesis, and the volume of the most anterior part of the temporal cortex, the temporal pole, actually increased with time. These findings underscore the heterogeneity of volume changes with time among areas. Our second finding was that the rates of decrease in volume were very similar in girls and boys. This similarity between sexes is interesting, since at later stages men show steeper decrease in cortical volume than women. This suggests that sex hormones may underlie this difference, probably due to the protective effect of estrogen against neuroinflammation. And this brings us to our second point, namely the central role of neuroinflammation in neuronal loss. There is no doubt that multiple factors contrib contribute to the changes that we observe over time. In fact, different factors may operate at different lifespan periods, at different intensities, and may affect differentially different areas. I stress the word different because diversity is the norm in brain structure and function, unlike more homogeneous organs like the liver. Let's start with a bird's eye view of the overall change in cortical volume. The volume of the cerebral cortex increases from birth on, reaches a peak at about 6 years and declines slowly afterwards at an approximate rate of 5% per decade. The initial increase in gray matter volume is commonly attributed to growth naturally expected. Details on such growth time courses of individual cortical areas during early childhood are lacking, so we cannot appreciate potential differences among areas. Our study picks up at six years and traces the volumes of 35 areas of the, for the subsequent 15 years till 21 years old. As reported by other studies, we found an overall trend of gradual decline in volume. 
Such a decline is commonly attributed to maturation, partly accounted for by a reduction of synapses and loss of neurons due to inactivity. However, the decrease in cortical volume continues along the lifespan to end in cortical atrophy in advanced old age. Obviously, this ongoing volume decrease cannot be attributed to continuous maturation. Yes, we are becoming older and wiser as we are getting older, but not because our cortex atrophies. And here it is that our perspective differs. We attribute the decrease in cortical volumes, even in this early developmental stage, to chronic low-grade neuroinflammation, most probably induced by the occasional reactivation of viruses who reside in the brain in a latent state, notably members of the human herpes virus family. Some of these viruses are with us from very early. For example, human herpes virus 6A is already part of our genome, thus being transmitted by inheritance. And besides, antibodies against it are found in the blood of more than 90% of two-year-old children. The problem with this and other human herpes virus is that they are ubiquitous, can enter the brain and remain there in a latent state and get reactivated during stress, fever, and a host of other common conditions without overt, without overt serious, serious disease, such as encephalitis, but yet may induce intermittently local inflammatory reactions that produce cumulative local damage, ultimately manifested as local atrophy. Now, this can partially explain observed differences in volume reduction among areas based on a differential distribution to and residence of the viruses in different cortical areas, and b differential vulnerability or sensitivity of different areas to similar viral insults. Why the differential brain residence of a virus? One factor has to do with the gate of entry of the virus to the brain. For example, a virus that enters the brain through the nose tends to set up residence in hippocampal and other cortical limbic areas. Another common mode of entry of viruses in the brain is from the blood, through the blood-brain barrier. Although the blood-brain barrier is there to restrict the passage of all kinds of molecules to the brain and therefore protect it from potentially harmful substances, Unfortunately, it opens in a quite a few situations, such as stress, infection, fever, etc. Since during viral infections, even mild ones, the virus circulates in the blood, it gets easy access to the brain. Other points of entry include the orofacial regions from which, for example, human herpes virus 1 can travel through sensory axons and camp in the trigeminal ganglia and non-reservoir of it. And recently, the potential entry of viruses through axons of neurons innervating the gastrointestinal tract has been documented. In summary, viruses and other microbes can get access to the brain, reside in a latent state, and get intermittently reactivated, causing low-grade neuroinflammation and cumulative loss of neurons ultimately manifested as cortical atrophy. The presence of viruses in the brain in a latent state indicated by the presence of their DNA or RNA, and or reactivated state, indicated by the presence of viral protein as well, has been well documented in many studies, and has been the potential 
implication of viruses in a host of neurological diseases, including multiple sclerosis, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, etc., as well as in various forms of brain cancer. Now, regarding the more specific relation of viruses to normal brain atrophy, a crucial evidence has come from our group, namely a paper published in the Lancet Journal in Biomedicine in 2018, first authored by Lisa James, entitled Protective Effect of Human Leukocyte Antigen, allele DRB1302, on age-related brain gray matter volume reduction in healthy women. We simply found that healthy women who carried the human leukocyte antigen, HLA for short, allele DRB1-1302, did not show brain atrophy with age, cortical or subcortical. Since HLA molecules are responsible for the elimination of viruses, this finding lent support to our hypothesis that the so-called normal, read inevitable, brain atrophy is at least partly due to infectious causes. We postulate that these processes start operating from early in life and that the gradual reduction of cortical gray volume from six years old, if not earlier, reflects the cumulative damaging effect of these processes. The good news is the realization that brain atrophy with aging is not normal or inevitable, but in theory could be inhibited. If only we could give to everyone the key HLA molecule DRB1-1302. Actually, given time and funding, this could become a reality. Very good for all of us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the Journal of Neurophysiology and produced by me, Jamie Jones. If you would like to hear our latest episodes, please visit the Journal of Neurophysiology's homepage.